Church, would you please join with me in a prayer as we now prepare ourselves for the hearing of God's word through our scripture reading and the preaching to follow. Let's pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So church, tonight, tonight's reading comes from Mark 8. So here a reading from the story that we love. Mark 8, starting at verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people thought, or brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon, or good evening. <laughs> how was everybody's Christmas? Now, uh, how many of you had a kind of a Christmas party or a Christmas dinner this past week? Uh, I just want to see most people, right? Okay. Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. It really is. Um, and, you know, it's like a stimulus overload, isn't it? We get, uh, you know, the, our eyes. I love the Christmas lights. It's just brighter in the city for some reason. There's decorations. We hear Christmas music. Um, I love hearing the laughter. I love hearing my family laugh at game time. My family doesn't laugh a lot. So I love hearing their laughter. Uh, the smells from the kitchen, the food that we feast on. Um, this is all amazing. And then we greet one another. Again, my family's not very huggy kind of people, so at Christmas, it's almost like we get to hug each other, and that's okay. Uh, we get to play with, and just play. It's so much stimulus overload. All our senses are engaged. The human senses are our primary contact to our environment, whether it's a sense of sight, if it's hearing, if it's taste or touch, or smell, these are all so vitally important. And often we don't even think about them until something is not working right. Now I'd like to kind of start off this evening with a little bit of an interaction, okay? So I'm gonna ask, I invite you to stand if you're willing and able. And I'm gonna throw out one question and I want you to kind of reflect on this, okay? So here's the question. Which of the five senses would you miss the most if you lost it? And you can only choose from these five. So if you have the sixth sense, I don't know, okay? We're going with these five. So do you have your answer? Okay? All right. If you would miss the sense of smell the most, I invite you to have a seat. Okay, one, okay, all right, okay. If you would miss the sense of touch the most, have a seat. Okay, another one person, okay. 
If you would miss the sense of taste the most, I invite you to have a seat. All right, all the foodies, <laughs> maybe they should have been, yeah, okay. Um, if you miss the sense of hearing the most, have a seat. Okay. So all of you that are standing would miss the sense of sight the most, correct? Right? And it is one of the most important organs that we have, right? Because we perceive up to 80% of impressions by means of our sight, right? And if every, everything else is not working, taste is not working, smell is not working, the sense of sight is the one that best protects us from danger, right? And it seems like a majority of folks in this room would agree for that, right? Thank you. Um, you, might have, you can have a seat. There was a survey done in 2018, uh, a U.S. population, about 20,000 people were surveyed, and this was the same response that they had. The majority of people would miss the sense of sight, if you can see that. Kind of like what happened here today. So, a majority would miss the sense of sight. Our passage today gives an account of Jesus healing a blind man. And what is intriguing about this particular passage is that at the very same time, it's actually mirroring and alluding to something else as well. It's a double whammy, if you will. Jesus was addressing a different type of blindness, a dangerous form of blindness that is not often addressed. Spiritual blindness. And it is good timing, I find, that we faced the year 2020 just around a corner, and now we get to talk about spiritual vision, that maybe we can have spiritual vision 2020. No matter where we are in our relationship with Jesus, we do a great service to our spiritual health when we can take some time to reflect on possible blind spots in our lives. When blind spots are not addressed for long, it can be dangerous. Just imagine driving and never checking your blind spots. You can hurt yourself, or you can even hurt other people along the way. The more callous we get, apathy increases, and we miss the excitement that comes with a life with Jesus. Spiritual blindness causes us to miss what Jesus is doing in our lives. We miss God moments that are happening every day. Spiritual blind spots and blindness causes us to see only a partial view of who Jesus is. And we end up picking only the easy parts of Christianity. And it misses the most important, that the path of discipleship is picking up and bearing the cross. And that is difficult. So let's set up the scene. We've got a few four short verses today, but we're going to paint that picture a little bit broader so we can understand this and appreciate it more. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. If you have your smartphones, pick it up and type in Mark chapter 8. And then scroll all the way up to the beginning of Mark 8. So we're going to start at verse 1. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to speed talk it right through here. It is important to know that in Mark 8, this pivotal middle point of this gospel he is addressing two groups of people. And first, he is addressing the blindness of the Pharisees. And in verse 11 and 13, we can see that. 
Their blindness, the Pharisees' blindness, was willful. They chose not to see who Jesus is. Everywhere Jesus went, he had to deal with the opposition of the Pharisees who refused to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus called them the blind leaders of the blind. Jesus rebuked them and refused them. They came to Jesus as the spiritual police squad and demanded that he perform some type of sign from heaven to prove himself. They actually wanted to trap him into being found a liar and a false prophet. And Jesus refused their demand because he knew that even if he performed this kind of miracle, it would not convince him. They've already decided not to believe This form of spiritual blindness, where the heart can become so hard that even the most convincing facts and demonstrations will not change the individual, is dangerous. Sometimes we too can become so stubborn that we fail to see God's plan for us. He can write it across in the sky, erase it again, and write it again across the sky, and we don't even see it. We won't even believe it. Now, the second group he's dealing with is his very own disciples. The disciples were not seeing fully who Jesus is yet. And they weren't getting it just quite. And so to appreciate this passage, we're going to kind of uh, look at the two feeding miracles, okay? So scroll your finger down to Mark chapter 8, same chapter, verse 19, The feeding of the 4,000 is a separate miracle from the feeding of the 5,000. And so we can see it when you read that the the way the disciples are responding to Jesus. Okay? There's a lot of similarities between the two miracles. Both miracles include huge crowds with little food. Both involve the use of bread and fish. Both involve Jesus showing compassion on the crowd. And both was miraculously provided for their needs Both miracles were crowds were entirely satisfied and large amounts of food were left over. Here's where it was different. The numbers of people were different. The bread amount was different. The leftover amount was different. And the first place, first one took place after one day of teaching. This one took place after three days of teaching. And the first miracle was motivated by Jesus' spiritual needs of the group while in this feeding, it was motivated by the physical needs of the crowd. But here is where I want to zoom in to the main difference. Check out the disciples' response. In Mark chapter 6, the disciple says, it's their problem, let them deal with it. This is the Joe version, okay? You're not going to see the exact words like that in the Bible. In Mark chapter 8, in this particular one, the disciples are saying, yeah, we see the same problem you do. What can we do about it? That's in verse 4. Take a look on your screen here. Can you see the difference of their response? The disciples were changing in their attitude. Can you pick up on that? They were understanding a little bit slightly, though, that they needed to have compassion 
on the people like Jesus did. And so while the disciples may not have gotten it fully, what Jesus was teaching yet, Jesus continued to teach them because they're growing and he had compassion on them. God is not a taskmaster that expects perfection immediately. And as the disciples made the effort to know and understanding who he was and his purpose, God honored it by taking moments to teach them. Are you seeing that? And teaching them is what Jesus was about to do. A vital lesson on spiritual blindness is about to be mirrored in a healing account of physical blindness, all in real time fashion. This was an important setup. That's why we took a lot of time to kind of deal with it. So here we go. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. So let's stop right there because there's already a lot of things to unpack. Bethsaida. Mark doesn't elaborate on the kind of city that Bethsaida was. In the book of Luke, he does. It is described as a city of unbelief. Jesus described this city as, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus was not impressed with Bethsaida. The first healing touch was when Jesus took this man by the hand and led him away from a place of unbelief and into a place Jesus could work with him personally. And I love how personal that first part of verse 23 is as Christ makes physical contact with him and he took the blind man by the hand. The first touch to healing spiritual blindness is intimate connection with Jesus. The sense of touch would be elevated for a blind person. So this is no doubt a lot for him. And I imagine Jesus leading this man around potholes and people in, the, in, in a path. You know, in our culture, when you shake hands with someone, you are communicating warmth and openness. But have you ever shaken hands with somebody and you hung on too long and it becomes awkward? But then if it's someone that you like, that's okay. Because when you hold hands, that physical touch, it's more tender. It's more intimate. Now imagine the level of trust that this man had to have to be led somewhere when blind to outside his comfort zone. The blind tend to be very familiar with their area. I get out of bed, five steps to, I'm not gonna do this because I might crash into something, five steps to my door, I, I know from the refrigerator, it's four steps to the stove. You, they count, they know. But what trust this man must have had to be led by the hand of Jesus. 
And now because we have the luxury of seeing this whole story from beginning to end, we know that Jesus tells him later not to go back into the city. There was something not healthy about that city life that Jesus wanted this man to be severed from, and which is why Jesus wanted to lead him away from what has become his comfort zone. It's almost as if he had been in Bethsaida for too long. And he'd been around the citizens of the town. Jesus wanted to do something powerful in this man's life. And in order to do so, he wanted to get him out of Bethsaida and encourage him at the end to stay out. Now, some of you may know that uh, Monday to Friday, I work at Union Gospel Mission. I'm a clinical counselor with uh, women who are in substance misuse Uh, They were stabilizing them from um, their recovery and preparing them for treatment. And so many of the clients, by the the time they come to our doors, uh, these women are in very difficult spots. Uh, They're very uh, entrenched, street entrenched. They have very violent homes that they're coming from, uh, significant partners that are drug dealers. So they have a lot of things that are working against them. And as I was thinking about the ones that were successful over this past year, the ones that are still clean and sober, what were the difference that made it happen? It it wasn't the counselor's work. It wasn't the treatment home. It was usually a humility that this person had. They were ready for a change. They wanted to change. But the next step was they wanted to be separate from their environment. And they knew that the environment that came from or their significant relationships were toxic. And the ones that were ready to give up those and create new families, if you will, or change their environment are the ones that are still successful today, are the ones that are still thriving today. These women are often very young in their recovery life and highly impressionable still. And so successful sobriety from their drugs of choice usually included that change of environment and significant relationships. What about you? And I'm asking this of myself too. Would you be willing to be curious about taking Jesus' hand and let him lead you out of a possible comfort zone? Your Bethsaida, if you will, that is holding you back from thriving in your spiritual life. Maybe God is revealing to you, slowly even now, a blind spot, an activity that he'd like to lead you away from. Maybe a place that is stifling your growth. A toxic relationship that you might need to sever ties and stay away from. Or in a reframed language, If we want certain things to happen in our spiritual life, then perhaps there are certain places we'll need to be. Certain activities we may need to engage with more. Or certain peoples that we need to surround ourselves more. However God is prompting you, even at this moment, he wants to connect with you intimately on this. Tenderly with you. Now let's take a look at the second healing touch Jesus gives this man. 
When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. All right. Everything Jesus does is intentional, deliberate, and purposeful. We also note that the man was able to describe seeing people looking like trees. And we kind of get this inference that this man was probably not born blind. He may have lost his sight due to injury or illness, but we really don't know the reasons for his blindness. But what we do know is that at this very point, he was beginning to see something. He went from total darkness to perhaps bright light, uh, maybe starting to see color and movement as unfocused images begin to pulsate through his previously deadened optic nerves. He was beginning to see something, and that is the Lord of the Rings. Um, maybe Tolkien borrowed from here. Um, but why this two-stage process? Right? Jesus could have done it in a snap and everything would have been perfect. But remember, Jesus had a different agenda. He had a teaching agenda. Remember his audience, the disciples, the Pharisees, the police squad that was following him all over the place. He was addressing the surrounding audience, his disciples, on their spiritual blindness. They were beginning to see who he was, but not clearly seeing it yet. Do you see that parallel that's happening here? And we do also have to address why the use of spit. In the context of Jesus' day, accepted Jewish writings such as the Old Testament regarded spittle as something that is offensive. Spitting at somebody was seen as an offensive act. Spitting in public was considered impolite and beneath the dignity of someone in leadership. And so to appreciate why Jesus chose to spit as a method of healing this blind man, again, remember who was the audience around him. That's how they were going to read his behavior. So Jesus' action of spitting in a man's eyes was seen as offensive, a sign of disrespect, a sign of public disgrace, and disgusting. And the text itself suggests that this spittle was not actually what healed the man. Jesus spits once, but he touched the man's eyes twice. The spit didn't heal, Jesus' touch did. And as we have already noted, the two-stage healing process of the blind man is a parable, an illustration of the disciples. The disciples are blind about who Jesus was fully and only had a partial understanding of who he was. And so they, too, are going through a two-stage healing process. The use of spittle, this disgraceful, disgusting method of healing, was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Smack middle in the book of Mark is going to be pivotal right after this healing. The suffering that Jesus was about to enter 
Jesus the Messiah. The disciples thought they were going to walk alongside of him into honor and power and glory and reign. They didn't get it yet fully. They didn't want to fully accept the fact that Jesus was going to walk down a path of utter humility, ultimate suffering, and horrific death that was associated with shame, disgrace, and disgust. A death that was supposed to be only used for the worst of criminals. This was a foreshadowing moment. And they did not understand that Jesus was going to be crucified. Three times Jesus tells them that they didn't want to get it. And what they do not see clearly, what Jesus is teaching them in this section, is that he is going to suffer and die. That is a shocking statement. This healing account and the opening of the eyes as a two-part process have a direct application to the disciples. If they want to follow Christ, they can expect the same experience of suffering and hardship. This, too, is a shocking statement. At this first stage of the healing process, the blind man's sight was beginning to be restored. He was changed, converted, if you will. But the healing process was not yet complete, not to its fullest clarity. There was one more process that is about to take place. So once more, Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. The first thing this man sees was Jesus. The Greek translation indicates that he saw and continued to see both near and far. The progression is vivid here. Three different Greek words are used. His eyes were opened, his sight restored, and he saw everything clearly. The word for clearly that is used means brightly, shining, resplendent. Try to use that word sometime this week, resplendent. The word resplendent carries the description of dazzling, magnificent, glorious, brilliant, stunning, glittering. He could read the big letters on the eye chart and the small ones too. You know, when I, a few years ago, actually not a few years ago, many years ago, I got LASIK eye surgery. And... Um, it was a phenomenal moment when I could see clearly for the first time and, and without glasses, right? And so several times I poked myself almost in the eye because I thought I was wearing my glasses. But it was a milestone moment this year, about two months ago, when I, had, I was looking at my phone and I had to do this. <laughs> and hence, I'm back to putting on glasses. But it was clear. <laughs> and when I put on my glasses to drive now, it's, I've seen things more clearly. And I don't think anyone wants me to change that. Wear your glasses when you drive, right? This healing account of the parallel, parallels the discipleship's spiritual sight indicates a similar pattern of connection, conversion, and correction. It all begins with an intimate invitation to connecting, 
a trust and humility of stepping out of one's comfort zone. And this leads to a change in life, conversion, if you will. And now Jesus is asserting that there is further they can go in a relationship with him. And that to be his disciples means walking the narrow path. And this path does not promise an easy life. Jesus wanted to heal their faulty spiritual vision and restore it to full clarity and brilliance. And with the year 2020 just around the bend, what faulty vision or spiritual blind spots does Jesus want to touch and heal you from? Will you trust him to lead you out of a place of comfort zone and towards an intimate place of healing and restoration? I encourage you to take some time, whether it's tonight or on your Sabbath or sometime in this next week, to ponder on that. And maybe use this as a lead-off question. Am I a believer in Christ or am I a follower of Christ? There is a distinction between being a believer and being a follower of Christ. There are no costs in believing in Jesus for eternal life. There is nothing shocking about that. There is nothing that results in disgrace in believing in him. The future is one that's kind of set up for the eternal life in the kingdom. But following Jesus, a life of discipleship, the costs are greater. They are shocking. It's a hardcore life with many sacrifices. It can involve giving up one's family and even life itself. Life plants can experience a complete overhaul. There is absolutely no place where it is promised that the life of discipleship is that of cupcakes and rainbows and unicorns. We are challenged to take up our own crosses. So why not just stay a believer and not have to pay the cost of being a follower? To this, I use physical sight as comparison. We can or I can only cope with faulty physical vision for a certain period of time because eventually it affects every part of our lives. Productivity goes down, we get tired more easily, And if we leave it untouched and undealt with, it can have detrimental consequences. We can go permanently blind. When you see things with brightness, shining and resplendent, crisp and clear, you don't want to settle for anything else. And likewise, when we have a spiritual vision that is bright, shining and resplendent, you really don't want to settle for a life of just simply believing. The path of discipleship, though we bear the cross, we don't bear it alone. Though the road may be marked with suffering, we don't ever go at it alone. Remember, step one, Jesus is holding our hand the entire way. There's an unexplainable peace that surpasses all understanding 
Because at this point, when we're fully seeing with clarity, we see God has his hand within it all. God being present beside us all the whole time, and God's strength to pull us through it all. That is resplendent 2020 spiritual vision. And that is ours for the healing.